The readings are from Exodus chapter 20, the first four, uh, seven verses, and Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, open up our eyes afresh to see the wonder of who you are and to celebrate and to praise you. Amen. I wonder, what was the, the last big celebration that you went to? Or maybe not just the most recent one, but maybe others be, before then. It doesn't matter whether it was Christian or, or not. What was the last celebration? Just, just turn to one another for a moment and just, just, just share with each other. What was the last big celebration you went to? Okay. Um, I won't come round and ask, but just, just for a moment, think about that celebration and think about what went into the celebration, who was there, how it was prepared, how you ended up going to it. Uh, Mike and Adrian were sharing about their diamond wedding, and um, I think you know, that there was an obvious reason for that, and, uh, um, and I, I guess you were there because you were celebrating your diamond wedding. We'll come back to, to that, some of those themes in a minute. 
So the first thing when we go to a celebration, there is, there is something or someone to celebrate, isn't there? Um, Hayden Pro and I were in Bethlehem a few years ago and they were on a study tour and the tour party got invited to go to a big celebration party one night in Bethlehem. Um, it was at a, a day center for older people and we were invited to go. The oldest man and the oldest woman were applauded onto the dance floor. Um, their praises were lauded by the MC in a rap and um, then they led the dancing. And then we all joined in. It was a great evening, a great time. But there were those two people there were to be celebrated because of their age and because of their membership of that day center. When there's a celebration, somebody will issue invitations to attend. It might be very posh ones on a bit of card, maybe with silver writing and everything else on it, or golden writing. Can you have diamond writing? I'm not sure they can have diamond writing on, on, on cards. <laughs> um, but there will be an invitation of some sort. Come, whether it's a formal bit of a piece of card that gets sent, or whether it's a, a WhatsApp message, or whatever it might be that, that comes to you. You're, you've been invited. People are invited to come to the celebration. And then there's a togetherness, isn't there, about celebrating. Yeah, I know there are wedding receptions where that part of the family isn't speaking to that part of the family. Um, but um, normally when we come together for a celebration, it brings people of all different backgrounds together. Sometimes it's a great place of meeting those who you haven't seen for years. And uh, Keith and I were just trying to work out one of the last the big celebrations we were at. And I think both of us came up. It was probably a wedding of some sort. Um, but it's, um, you know... I know the saying at my age is that we often find that it's now weddings and, and funerals that we seem to meet together. But a celebration does bring us all together, doesn't it? It brings a whole variety of different people into the same place with a common purpose. And then the focus of the celebration is not on, the, is not on those who have been invited, not us as guests. It's on the honored guests, the people who we are celebrating. I remember feeling slightly awkward at one particular wedding I was at when the photographer seemed to be spending more time taking a picture of one of the bridesmaids than of the bride. Um, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what to make of that. Because when we meet together, there's a, there's a focus for our celebration. It's not on us. It's on the people who, or the object that we're celebrating. A celebration can be a way of showing homage or respect or reverence to the object or subject of the celebration or commemoration. We'll see that, won't we, this week in the, in the commemoration of the D-Day landings, as people meet together to pay homage to those who gave their lives. And then also with a celebration, you will often find there are some instructions to follow. Um, at its simplest, it will be, I want, we want you to be at this place at this time so we can actually celebrate together. Sometimes it would give you the dress code and you feel slightly awkward if you haven't turned up in the dress code. And I remember hearing of some people who thought they were going to a fancy dress um, party on one occasion, turned up in their fancy dress and nobody else was in fancy dress. And uh, <laughs> the shambles that that sort of caused and the worry. But very often when we come to celebrate, there is that sense of following those instructions, maybe even in the dress sense, 
I think we've long gone past Sunday best these days in this country. But if I'm in Uganda, I know that's what it's going to be like. Now, part of that is because that may be the only change of clothes that some of those family have. It's either their, their workaday clothes during the week or their Sunday clothes that they will come in. And I know and, um, I visit Vienna quite often on holiday. And I know if I want to follow, if I want to get to Christchurch Vienna, um, I know the way there now because I've been there so often. But when I first went, I used to follow this array of West African dress, um, which would always lead me to Christchurch Vienna because the, the West Africans who worship there um, would always be dressed up finally and, and fully to come into that. Well, today we're going to start a new sermon series and a new series of home group studies looking at celebrating God. Celebrating is one of the, the four marks that we identified as a church earlier this year, along with, with um, praying and meeting and serving, that we would celebrate. And so between now and the summer holidays, we're going to be looking at what it means to worship God. We're going to look at the nature and character of God. Because there is someone to be celebrated. God himself, God in all of his varying attributes. The uh, contribution from the, the 930 service is up on the board here. And if you want to have a look and see, what was lovely during the service was many of the children kept coming up and saying, there's another word we didn't put when we answered the question earlier about what is God like. And there's more and more being out there. Feel free to add at the end of the service if you want to. And in the concourse, you'll see some of the attributes of God that Emily brought together during this past week. And we're going to be looking not at all of those. I think that would last us for till next summer, I think, if we took each of the one there individually. But we're going to look at some of those attributes of God and say, what does it mean to worship a God who is the giver of the Spirit? What does it mean to worship a God who is creator? What does it mean to worship a God who is reconciler? What does it mean to worship a God who is judge? What does it mean to worship a God who is king? What does that mean in both word and deed? How do we live out our worship of a God who is like these things? But that's for the coming week. Today we want to focus on God himself as the someone to be celebrated. And he calls for our celebration, doesn't he, to be focused solely on him. As Adrian read to us just now, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. In our human celebrations, we move on probably from one party to another, from wedding to another, one celebration like this to one celebration like this. And it's different people who are the center of those celebrations. But God will brook no rival. We sing, don't we, in one of our songs, you have no rivals. And so the focus is on God himself. He is the one to whom we are to give worship. But if we're honest, we don't always do that. Keith led us in confession a bit earlier. Because we are conscious of those times when we go in other directions. Paul's quite clear, isn't he, at the beginning of Romans, when he says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people 
Although they knew God, his eternal plan and divine nature, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. That direct contravention of the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath. And in that second command, there's something else that's quite strange perhaps to our ears. Because God adds to those words, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. Is this God being petty? Is this God waving a stick because he isn't getting his own way? Or rather is it because he sees that relationship as so special that anything which tries to break it is wrong? Think of a jealous love of a husband for a wife or a wife for a husband if a third party tries to intervene and break up the marriage. And that's the sort of jealousy that God is is describing himself as having here. A God who longs for wholehearted celebration, wholehearted worship, wholehearted obedience, because he is God, and for no other reason. And if that jealousy of God for his name, for his person, is true, that challenges us in the way in which we live our lives. Where is it that we put other things in place of God? Maybe our comfort, maybe money, it may be power, it may be sex, it may be selfishness. The list is endless, isn't it? But the wonderful thing about God is that he is not only creator, he is not only all-powerful, he is not only jealous for his name, but he's also the one who saves and redeems. This is the one who we come to celebrate. And our worship of God is initiated by him. He's the one who issues the invitation to come and celebrate. If we were to go back in the previous chapter in Exodus in chapter 19 and verses 4 to 6. God says to the people, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey fully and keep my commandment, my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasure possession. Though the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If you obey and fully keep my covenant. There's an invitation there. If we follow God, if we accept his invitation to worship him and to follow him, then he will be all these things for us and he will make us his people. God has initiated the call to worship, to celebration. He's he's issued the invitation. And even the call to worship God alone is based on his action and his initiative. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
I'm the God who's rescued you. I'm the God who's redeemed you. I'm the God who loves you that much. And I invite you now to follow me and to worship me with your mouth and with your lives. Paul picked up the same idea in our New Testament reading. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy. And even the therefore at the beginning of that sentence looks back at the whole of Romans 1 to 11. It leads us from the place of rebellion against God. The letter leads us through the love that God has shown us in Jesus to free us and to justify us. It leads to the giving of the Spirit and hope for eternity. That's 11 chapters of Romans and about eight, eight words. Um, I'll leave you to go and read the rest, of the rest of the epistle to bring it all together. But this is the God who Paul says, therefore, in view of all that God has done, Offer your souls and bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your true and proper worship, because God invites us to celebrate him. And when we do this, we aren't on our own because there is a togetherness about celebration. The promise in Exodus 19 is about a community who will worship God about a community who will come together in their terms around the tabernacle and the temple. In, in, in our situation, as we meet together regularly like this and as we look forward to that great time in the future when the Lord returns and we come with those from all nations, tribes and languages and tongues everywhere to come and to worship and to celebrate. There's a togetherness. All through the New Testament letters, there's an emphasis on our coming together. Our English language these days doesn't differentiate too, very, too widely between a corporate you and a personal you and an individual you. Probably around 99.9% .9 of the use of you and yours in the epistles is corporate. We so often just take it as our own, as an individual thing. But it's us coming together in our celebration of God in word and deed. Romans 12 itself leads from invitation to worship to the use of the gifts of the Spirit amongst the congregation. We can't love one another unless we're meeting together. There's nobody else to love if we're on our own. In Ephesians, worship emanates as the people gather together. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That togetherness raises challenges for us as we meet together Sunday by Sunday. Do we come into this place as disconnected individuals? Do we stay as disconnected individuals as we worship together? Do we leave from here as disconnected individuals? Or does our coming together to celebrate and to worship God bring us together as his people with a deep care and a concern for each other 
but helping one another to worship God in word and deed. When we sing, are we engaging in corporate worship or between me and my God? I know being in the round has pros and cons. And we can debate that for as long as you want, but not this morning. But being in the round, in one sense, forces us to see that there are others opposite us who are worshipping God, sitting there. I know of an evening service, there's two or three of the students, I love being opposite when we worship, because they really encourage me to get stuck in and to be worshipping God, because of their own sense of worship. And that's part of us being in the round. And then, just like our, our celebrations, the focus of the celebration is not on those who have been invited as guests, but on the honored guest, on God himself. I wonder what constitutes a good service for you. When you get home and you chat about it over lunch, what constitutes it as being good? Is the measure whether you had a particular experience or feeling? Was there some ecstatic moment of the service that you felt God personally? Was there some point where the endorphins kicked in? Now, I know for me that, that I hear that when I hear the top C's and Allegri's Miserere, but I think for some of you probably it's more recent music that that probably happens with. Did you swipe like for the worship songs that were sung or the sermon or the intercessions or the notices even? Now, don't get me wrong, there's something good about all of those, yes, even the notices. But if the sum of our evaluation of a time when we've come together is centered on what we have personally experienced, on what we would like, then I think we've missed the point, and I suggest we've even broken the second commandment. Because we put us in the place of God as being the focus of why we've come together. One of the songs that we, we sing here from time to time is When the Music Fades. All is swept away, and we simply come because it's all about you, Jesus. And I love that song because I know the circumstances in which it was written. It was written within a church community where there was a real sense that as they came to worship, it had nothing to do with God but all about me. And that song grew out of that to redirect that church to focus and to be praising God and seeing him as being the focus of the worship and celebration. So let's work together so that the focus of our celebrations is God himself and what we give to him. Yes, in his mercy and in his grace and in his love, he brings stuff to us as a result of that too. But he is the focus of why we're here. And as we meet to celebrate, it can be a way of showing homage or respect or reverence. I guess for many of us, that would actually fit the, des the description of what we're doing in celebrating God, worshipping him. Brings together those ideas of adoration and praise. What I found interesting over the these past few weeks as I've read this and as I was preparing for the last series and looking at the Psalms, is how often actually the biblical words we have as worship, which conjure up all sorts of things for us, actually in the original Greek and Hebrew are to do with posture. One of the most frequent use for worship 
in both Old Testament and New Testament, whether in the Hebrew or the Greek, is that we are bowing down or we prostrate ourselves. It's an attitude as much as a description of what we do. And we don't do much in the way of bowing and scraping today. I can't really see too much of that happening this coming week during the state visit, um, but we'll see. And um, we don't do too much. So when I was installed as an honorary canon of the cathedral, I had two of my friends who greeted me in the, in the South Presbytery aisle afterwards and started the, the bowing and walking backwards bit in front of me. Which, uh, um, now we, we, we see that in uh, occasions, but we, we, that isn't part of our culture, perhaps. We do see homage, don't we? Being paid posthumously. You look after any terrorist attack and the flowers that are laid at the scene in homage for those who died. Or past those wayside um, shrines on the road where there's been a serious traffic accident. Or somebody has been, you know, has been killed in, in a road accident and, and their friends will come and lay flowers in homage. So I think there is aspects of that which we bring. God's invitation is that we come and worship him, the sovereign Lord and creator of all that is. And I think that must involve all. However that takes and takes us on in our, in our own worship of God and in our corporate worship. In Old Testament times, there was a fear of seeing God or even the, seeing the angel of the Lord. And that was a right fear because of who God is. In Christ, those old barriers have been taken down. But we must never lose sight that God is God. The writer of the Hebrews says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. How? With reverence and awe. Through Jesus, therefore, they go on to write, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And we're to do all of that while recognizing from Hebrews 12, 29, that our God is a consuming fire. There is that sense of awe. And we will always hold in creative tension, to use the technical term, the transcendence of God, the total otherness of God, the total greatness of God, all of these attributes that we've got here. All who God is. And on the other side, that Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. The imminence of God, the closeness of God, indwelling us by his spirit. And we hold those two in creative tension as we come to worship. So it's great to sing of God as our friend. It's also great to sing of God as our judge. It's great to sing God as our king. And it's also great to see Jesus as the faithful servant to God and to us in what he's gone through. It means we join in with those opening verses of Psalm 95, which some of you here will recognize very much from past. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving, extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands prepared the dry land. Come, 
Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. That sense of the awe of the majesty of God, the one who holds the four corners of the earth, the one in whom is the strength of the mountains, and yet the one who says, you are my people and I am your God. But that psalm leads on from that song of praise to words which in some services get dropped. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, tried me, thought they had, though they had seen what I did. They are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. It's a psalm which leads on from that praise with our lips to saying, are we also praising God with our lives? Do we praise in word and deed? And as with those invitations to a celebration, so God's invitation to us comes with instructions to say how he wants us to live out that celebration, how we're to celebrate and worship him in our lives. Romans 12, that in view of God's mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And if you go on to up through the next few chapters, it goes on to talking about using the gifts of the Spirit in the congregation. It talks about the way in which we deal lovingly with our enemies and those who persecute us, of how we're to live our lives out, about how we're to submit to the state, how we're to deal with arguments between Christians. All of those things are worship too, as we live our lives out, as we worship him, as we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and celebrate his character. Hebrews moves from those, that great sacrifice of praise to don't forget to do good for all. We worship him with reverence and awe, don't forget to do good to all. And that merging together of our praise with our lips and our praise with our lives. So worship is Sunday to Sunday. We worship as much Monday to Saturday as we do on a Sunday. This is the God who invites us to come and to celebrate and to worship him. He initiates it as creator and redeemer, and he invites us to come to follow him and to worship him and to celebrate him. God invites us to join with others in that celebration. And that celebration is something that is lifelong and life-wide. There isn't this little pocket which is worship. It's everything. As we offer our lives as a living sacrifice to the living God. So let's get used to celebrating. If I read Revelation right, that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. Let's get used to it here and now as we worship together, as we respond to God's invitation, and as we celebrate all that he is and all that he has done by using our lips to praise him in words and in music, 
but also in our lives, in our creativity, in the way in which we bring reconciliation in our communities, in the ways in which we long for justice to reign on this earth. Because God is a God who calls forth everything from us as he calls us to worship him. Let's pray.